Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you reveal to us your truth uh, so we can know uh, to hear your word and put it into practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes really ordinary things carry lots of significance. Pretty ordinary, except these knocks on Wednesday were significant. It wasn't kids playing up the back. It wasn't feedback from the speakers. Our church wouldn't normally send me on a 7,000-kilometre round trip to hear someone knock on a door. Uh, nor would the churches from Broome or Port Hedland knock on the door, and yet we did. And entered into the building our new bishop, Daryl Parker. It was an installation service and he was being installed on this seat. For instance, he was given a, a shepherd's crook. He was given a Bible. He was given a prayer book. Uh, he was given containers from each of the three regions in our diocese, from the Midwest. Uh, they gave him some grain, the significance for the life of our diocese. Well, today as we open Luke, we see something ordinary take on great significance. Significance for the first century and significance for now. Now, up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, the doctor, has been carefully making an account of Jesus' life. Uh, his purpose is so that we would have certainty about what Jesus said and did. And in the second part of Luke, Jesus has been making his way towards Jerusalem, towards what will ultimately be his death. Well, today Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. So please open your Bibles to chapter 19, verses 28 and onwards. And in this passage, we see four movements, four ordinary events that take on great significance. We see that the promised king arranges, the humble king travels, the mourning king arrives, and the zealous king in his temple. And as we look at these movements, we'll be challenged to see the significance of Jesus. So let's look at this first movement. The promised king arranges. We see in verse 28, Jesus is not quite at Jerusalem yet, but he's nearly there. He's just outside the city. In verse 29, he's at Bethpage and Bethany. Uh, there's a map up on the screen so you can kind of see. It's about uh, five kilometers out from Jerusalem. He's like from Swim Beach to here away. And Jesus arranges for his coming. Like when people prepare for a special function, you want to make sure that everything is just right. Uh, the bishop service on Wednesday was planned months in advance. Invitations went out. The order of service was put together. Requests that I take down some Boab nuts uh, were made. Well, here Jesus is planning something significant. And so he sends two of his disciples ahead and he gives them instructions in verse 30. Go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, those instructions might seem unimportant. Jesus says, go get a donkey. That's what a colt is. A colt is a young donkey. So what? Today, it might be the same as asking someone to go ahead and maybe pick up a rental car. Except, a donkey in the Old Testament means a king. King Solomon 
in 1 Kings chapter 1, when he was coronated king, he rode into Jerusalem, not on a chariot, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. In Zechariah 9, which we just had read, the king, the promised king, was not coming at the head of an army, but it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And here in Luke, Jesus arranges, Jesus arranges for a donkey. Jesus tells his disciples exactly where to find it. And he tells them exactly what to say. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And it is no surprise to us that in verses 32 to 34, events unfold exactly had Jesus planned, right down to the very response that the disciples needed to give. Now, the donkey might seem like a small, inconsequential, quirky detail even, like the bishop having to knock on the door. But with Jesus, the significance cannot be overstated. Jesus riding on a donkey says that he is the king coming into Jerusalem, the king spoken about in Zechariah, the king that will ultimately bring peace. This seemingly small detail shows us that God is fulfilling his promises. See, a donkey is... A little detail, but it's full of meaning, full of significance. See, if we want to know the significant things in God's kingdom, the significant things in God's plan for the world, we need to know God's word. We need to know the Bible. Because God's word shows us what is significant. We wouldn't know that the donkey is significant except God's word tells us that the donkey is significant. As Jesus goes and dies on the cross, thousands of people died on the cross, but his death on the cross was significant because God's word tells us that as Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for the sins of the world. So if we want to know the significant things in God's plans for this world, we need to be reading his word. It also helps us to get a, a richer picture of Jesus, a deeper understanding of Jesus. And don't we all want that? So we should be people who spend time reading and studying and devouring God's word. And as we do that, asking that God, by his spirit, will give us a deeper understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is and what he came to do so that we would see that the ordinary things take on great significance. So that's the first movement. The promised king arranges. He arranges for a donkey. Well, the second movement is how the humble king Jesus travels. The people with Jesus, they see the significance of the donkey. They are versed in the Old Testament. They are awaiting a promised king to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. They've got Zechariah 9.9 just running through their minds. And we see this in verse 35, when they throw their cloaks on the donkey and place Jesus on it. Now, on a donkey is a humble way for a king to travel to their throne. But Jesus takes that on willingly. And as he goes along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. They're giving him a royal entrance. And they're proclaiming him king. And then as they 
As Jesus approaches Jerusalem in verse 37, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And it's a great reason to rejoice because from their perspective, which is a correct perspective, God is fulfilling his promises made to his people. Their king is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so they sing. They sing with gusto on the side of the road. Verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, The first part of this song comes from Psalm 118 and it recognizes where Jesus is from. He is from the Lord. He is from God. The second part of the song echoes the angels in Luke chapter 2, that Jesus is the one who comes and will bring peace. This event of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is not just ordinary, but it is significant. Now, if a bunch of people, say in Kananara, decided that they saw a guy riding into Kananara on a horse, because we don't tend to ride donkeys these days, and they decided that they were going to lay down their fishing shirts before this guy on a horse and start singing to this guy on a horse, we would think that a little bit strange, wouldn't we? And I think rightly so. And I think in the first century, it actually was also a little bit strange. I don't know, we think about what happened 2,000 years ago and sometimes we think that, of course, it was normal back then for people to lay down their clothes on the ground and start singing to people riding into Jerusalem on donkeys. But that's actually not the case. And I think we see that with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were witnessing this event. The Pharisees were the respected religious leaders of the time. They actually should have been leading this procession of singing to God and rejoicing that Jesus was entering Jerusalem. Uh, But they missed the significance of what was happening. They they couldn't see. Uh, Sure, they could see the donkey. They could see Jesus. They could see the people. They could see the whole commotion. But what they couldn't see was that, that through this, God is actually fulfilling his promises. They think it's just a bunch of people completely overreacting. Have a look at what they say to Jesus in verse 39. Say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Quieten them down. Surely, Jesus, you can see that they are acting like a bunch of crazies. Do something about this. To which Jesus responds, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. His disciples are spot on. They have not misread the situation. They recognize the significance of what is happening. And the fact, what is happening with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is so significant that even if his disciples didn't see it, the stones would. They would cry out in praise to God. What an image that is. Ordinary travel on a donkey taking on great significance. I wonder if there's a a challenge in this for us, a a temptation maybe even. I wonder if sometimes we want to side with the Pharisees instead of with the crowd of disciples praising Jesus. You know, we see people who are willing to risk social embarrassment because they love the Lord Jesus and we kind of want to distance ourselves from them going, ah, they're not with us. Can you just quieten them down over there? I know when I was... um, 
when I first became a Christian, my friend's grandpa, he was a, a Christian and he loved the Lord Jesus and he loved telling people that he loved the Lord Jesus everywhere he went. And there was a few times where we're in the shops and this was before self-service registers where you actually had to talk to someone. And you knew that if he was going to go down that register, that person was going to find out that Jesus loved them. And me, I'm like, well, I'm kind of, I, I don't, I'm not sure I want to be with him right now. Uh, but he loved the Lord and he didn't care about the social embarrassment. And so I wonder if sometimes we can be a bit like that. We care more about what people think than the respectable people in this world think about us. And so we kind of we, we hide or we downplay our, our desire to want to praise Jesus. I wonder if Jesus might say to us, well, the groceries would cry out if he didn't tell that person that Jesus loved them. On the other side of the coin, if we recognize the significance of Jesus being king, we won't mind publicly praising Jesus. We too will want to sing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And we will want to do it even if the respectable people in our world say that we're overreacting. Uh, there's no shortage of people who want to uh, downplay our devotion to Jesus, to say that our faith is unreasonable or irrational or call us fundamentalists. No one likes being called a fundamentalist. Or a bigot or a hater, simply because we love Jesus. And recognizing that Jesus is God's king comes at a cost, but that cost does not compare to the cost of what Jesus paid for us on the cross as he died for our sin. Uh, so we've seen in these two movements so far, the promised king arrange his travel, knowing that he was fulfilling God's promises. And the second movement, we see that the king humbly travels, and as he travels, the crowds recognize the significance, although the Pharisees don't. The third movement is the morning king arrives. Jesus is now at the doorstep of Jerusalem. And Jesus is sad. He weeps, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. It's a weeping that is a recognition that everything is not as it should be. A sadness. I know some people who have lost their home in a bushfire. And as they went back to their house and they saw what was left of it, they too wept. They saw it was not as it should be. They saw what was lost. Well, Jesus is going into God's city, the place where his temple is. And he weeps because everything is not as it should be. And Jesus tells us why he weeps in verse 42. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from their eyes. They cannot see the significance of Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. They don't know that their king has arrived. In verse 44, it says, Jesus says that they didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. And as a result, instead of peace, Jerusalem will now know war. It will be destroyed and that is what happened in AD 70. The temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was overthrown. The reason that God's people can't see Jesus 
and see the significance of who he is riding in Jerusalem on a donkey is because of their sinfulness. It's because of their hard hearts. They've turned away from God. They're not attuned to God's word. And so they miss the significance of Jesus. See, sin happens when humanity doesn't listen to or pay attention to God's word. And you can trace this all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God had told them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the middle of the garden or you will surely die. Adam and Eve ignored God's word and they sinned against God. And we we actually see the same thing here in Jesus' time. God God has given the word in Zechariah 9.9 that his king will come into Jerusalem lowly, riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. And yet his people do not listen. They ignore God's word and they sin. They do not recognize God's king. And it's this state of sin that makes Jesus weep. His own people had turned away from God. It's the same for us today. When we do not listen to God's word, we sin. And we need to know this about God. We need to know that our sin not only hurts God, but we actually see in the the weeping of Jesus that it saddens him. Jesus looks upon our sinful, rebellious hearts and he weeps. God is our heavenly father and he hates it when his children turn away from him, just like a parent who hates it when their children are willfully disobedient. God hates our sin and even as Jesus comes into Jerusalem to die on the cross to forgive our sin, he weeps for it. And so we need to know this about God. We need to know this about Jesus. And as we seek to live the Christian life, as we seek to grow in Christian maturity and as the Spirit of God shapes us to be like Christ, we also should be people who weep over our sin, who mourn our sin. The mature Christian is not the Christian who doesn't sin anymore because this side of heaven, that is impossible. The mature Christian is the one who mourns their own sin, mourns their own heart's disposition to turn away from God. And the more we grow in Christ, the more we will grow in our awareness that we are sinners, that we don't obey God's word. But also the more we grow in Christian maturity and the more we realize that we are sinners, the more we will lean on Jesus for our salvation. The more we will recognize how good it is that he shed his blood on the cross to forgive our sin. The more we will praise God for what Jesus has done. 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. How good. And so we will praise Jesus. We will bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Because we know that as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, he is coming to deal with the very thing that we can't do anything about. 
to do what we cannot do ourselves to forgive our sin. Now, so far, we've looked at three movements. We've looked at how the promised king arranges the donkey, fulfilling God's promises. The humble king travels on the donkey and is recognized by the crowds. We've seen the mourning king arrive on the doorstep of Jerusalem and weep for the sins of the people. Well, the last movement sees Jesus come to where he, comes to where he belongs, the zealous king in his temple. Now, as Jesus enters the temple, the people should be praising God. They should be rejoicing. God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, is coming into his temple. In the Old Testament, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple, the Ark which represented God's presence for his people, King David danced, there was singing, there was multitudes of sacrifices. The whole nation rejoiced. God's people came and celebrated that God was coming into his temple. Everything was prepared. Everything was in order. But when Jesus came, there was no knocking. There was no seat. There was no jars of dirt from Jerusalem and Samaria and the ends of the earth. There was no recognition of the significance of Jesus entering the temple at all. Jesus finds a nation not celebrating its king. No, what he finds is the Saturday market. Verse 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. Uh, The temple courts were where the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were meant to be able to come and to worship God. And what Jesus found was money changers, people selling and making a profit off people's sacrifices. You know, during the dry season when we have the markets across the road, well, imagine that in the courtyard of the temple. Well, imagine coming to church on a Sunday morning and finding the market set up here instead. That's what Jesus found. And Jesus drives them out. It's a righteous anger, a zeal for the glory of God. And it moves Jesus. And Jesus, he knows God's word. And he quotes God's word in verse 46. He quotes Isaiah. It is written, my house will be a house of prayer. And notice how Jesus calls it his house. It is his temple. He is its owner. For he is God in the flesh. But the people, Jesus says, he says, you have made it a den of robbers. This is a dodgy market of schemers, of robbers, not worshippers. So Jesus comes to his temple and he doesn't like what he finds. God's people were not giving God the glory. This was the very thing Jesus was mourning as he entered Jerusalem. He knew what he would find when he entered the temple. And once Jesus had cleared the temple, Jesus began to teach in the temple every day. So instead of worshipping, we read that the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. They did not like who Jesus was claiming he was. They thought that those following him had got it wrong. But also they didn't know how to stop him. The best plan they thought of was to kill him. But they had to bide their time. Because Jesus was filling a hole that the chief priests and the teachers of the law had not been doing. Jesus was teaching God's word in the temple. 
Now, that might seem ordinary, a teacher teaching in the temple. But actually, we need to see the significance of this. Jesus is God in the flesh. God is speaking from his temple. His word is going out as it should be. And the people in verse 48, they're hanging off Jesus' words. Uh, the word hanging there is just like you know, you'd hang a, a hook in the wall and put a painting on it, or the kids might hang off the monkey bars after church. That's what the people were doing with Jesus' words. They were hanging off Jesus' words. Because Jesus was teaching them something new. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God and how he was the fulfillment of that kingdom. And when we recognize the significance of who Jesus is, we too will hang off Jesus' words. We will soak up Jesus' words in the scriptures. And we will recognize that as we listen to Jesus' words, we're not just hearing another person. We're not just hearing another great teacher. We're not hearing Jordan Peterson on YouTube or Oprah Winfrey. We're not just hearing another lecturer or a minister in a church. That Jesus is not just a, a good listen on a podcast. No, we are listening to God's king in his temple, teaching his people. And as we read his words in the scriptures, he's teaching us. And we need to know that Jesus' words are worth hanging off. See, what is happening in the temple, as Jesus taught, was not ordinary, it is eternally significant. God's king has come into Jerusalem, he's come into his temple. And he's teaching his people. So we've seen four movements. We've seen four ordinary events that have eternal significance. We've seen how Jesus, the promised king, arranges his transport on a donkey, fulfilling the Old Testament. The humble king travels on the donkey to Jerusalem as the people praise him. As he arrives at Jerusalem, we see the mournful king as he weeps over the sin of the people. And then we see as he comes into the temple how he sets things right. And the question that leaves us with is this. Will we recognize the king? Will we see the significance? Now what does it mean to recognize that Jesus is king? Well, it's not just to pay him lip service. It's not just to see the events of Jesus as ordinary and remain a bystander. Or to be like the Pharisees and try to hold him at arm's length. Now to recognize that Jesus is king is to jump in, is to lay down your coats, to sing his praise, it's to mourn our sin, it's to hang off his words. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sin. He came so that we could worship God. To recognize the significance of Jesus as king is to say, Jesus, you are my king. It's to say, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to be embarrassed about you. I'm going to worship you. Don't miss the significance. Google's artificial intelligence missed something significant a couple of weeks ago. It got some information wrong about the James Webb telescope. It posted it online. Seems fairly ordinary, but for some reason, Google lost $110 billion because of that post. They missed something significant. I bet you they wish they hadn't. 
Well, if we miss out on Jesus, we're missing out on something much more valuable than $110 billion. As we look at Luke 19 this morning, we see Jesus enter Jerusalem. We are seeing the fulfillment of God's plans for all eternity unfold. Will you see the significance or will you be like Google and miss it? I encourage you not to miss it. I encourage you to jump in, to praise God, to recognise who Jesus is as he goes into Jerusalem on a donkey, that he is God's king coming to redeem his people, to redeem you and me, so that we can sing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest.